In my opinion, the word hate is the strongest in the English language for expressing negative emotion. There are others, such as detest, abhor, and loathe, but these in similar terms are usually reserved to communicate an intensity a step or two below full-blown hatred. Once it reaches that level, the emotion dial has no more stops, and it can often erupt in extreme action. That's what makes this word dangerous. So when John quotes Jesus using its Greek equivalent seven times in the final 10 verses of chapter 15, it grabs our attention. Jesus never exaggerated. He wasn't being hyperbolic when he told his disciples in verse 19, the world hates you. But he didn't mean that every person on earth would be their enemy. The word translated as world in this passage refers to the way it's arranged or the system behind it, like the way a reporter might use the word Washington to describe the U.S. government, not all citizens of the District of Columbia. He wanted to make sure his followers weren't surprised when the satanic system operating in the shadows of this sin-scarred world would burst out from behind the scenes and manifest itself in open hostility toward them as his representatives. He explained that they would be targeted specifically because his words and works had exposed the sin at the heart of this system. And that's what he was referring to in verse 21 when he said, They do not know him who sent me. But the word translated as know is not the one that would be used for the beginning of a pursuit of knowledge. He wasn't describing someone who hadn't yet had a chance to get to know him. John captured his meaning by using a word that describes a fullness of knowledge that has already been gained. In other words, Jesus was making clear that at the core of the world's hatred of him was a rejection of the knowledge of his Father. Romans 1, 20-21 puts it this way, They are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. So, Jesus was warning the disciples to expect fierce opposition. And I think it's clear he was speaking beyond them to all of us who follow in their footsteps. Like that first group of Jesus people, we've been called out of the world to reflect God's glory back into it. And as we do, we will attract the hateful response of a system arrayed in purposeful opposition to Him. And that response can manifest in many unpleasant ways. When life feels like you're under attack, you, you probably are. But it's important for us to remain clear about where that opposition comes from. It's the satanic structure behind the scenes of this world, not its people. Our God is deeply in love with its people. They're not our enemy, they're our mission. Ephesians 6, 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual hosts of wickedness. If we get confused about who we're wrestling with, we can find ourselves at odds with our calling and attempting to confront a spiritual enemy using political, rhetorical, or material weaponry that targets the very people Jesus is seeking to save. We need to confront our spiritual adversary with spiritual weaponry. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 
That's why when Jesus brought this passage to a climax, he reiterated his promise to send us the helper, the Holy Spirit, who would lead the way in testifying of him in the face of the world's hostility. And in the light of that glorious promise, he was able to make one more. And although addressed to his disciples, it's one we can confidently claim as well. In the power of the Spirit, we will be enabled to withstand the world's hate and become his witness bearers. Let's trust him to fulfill that promise in and through our lives today.